So Darren, you can play the cash jig all the way through here. It has it has been said. I tell you, I, I was playing it. I was I was practicing for so long. This, they got the A part, and I was doing that wrong. Look, I need to tell you what I, I'm a devil for this, and I think it goes back to uh, Mary McNamara and the <laughs> the quote that she said: "People think they're listening, but they're not listening," and I am the worst for that i as soon as i think i have the tune the brain shuts off i don't reference the original material anymore and then i practice i make up this new arrangement and then that becomes the tune and i don't want to because i don't want to practice with the the source material the, the tune that i'm trying to learn so this is the same on banjo because i'm i'm crap i'll persevere and keep on going until it sounds right but then when I go back to the track, the actual tune, that's when it becomes apparent that it's wrong. And then you have to unlearn the tune to relearn a tune. So with the Kesh Jig, A Park got that down a good while ago. Um, and this is just the sounds of the Kesh Jig. Definitely not, doesn't sound overly musical. But the B part for so, for a week, for, I don't know when I mentioned on this, like to you or on the podcast that I had got the A part down. It has been that long just trying to work out the the B part and yeah and it, and so and this is also I'm trying to work it out by ear too so and uh, ear and watching people's like relative hands hand movements and it was only the other day when it was being really strict and playing with a metronome and it was horrible and I was banging my foot on the beat and trying to get into what a jig would be so boom two three one two three. and it just it just it just happened it just <laughs> like just something switched on a light went on and it, it from the tip from the tiny i don't have many hairs in my head but the tiniest hairs in my head to the tip of my toes like electric just it was like a light going on in my body and it just i don't know it feels like it's the first now i've got my first tune brilliant so are you going to buy a melodeon Buy is is not really on the cards at this point because they're they don't come in the tin whistle price range. So, no. But I am staring. I'm staring adoringly at videos of people playing the single role melodeon, including today's guest Kieran Kelly. And although I will never in a month of Sundays uh, approximate his standard of playing, um, I am quite taken with it, and I'm not quite sure why. Except that there's only one row of buttons and. It's uh, it's just a beautiful machine, and I'm I don't know. There's something beguiling about it that I'm really attracted to. And Kieran posted a clip of himself playing a couple of tunes in a G melodeon, and I like the key of G. It feels like uh, it feels like something approximating. It feels like a musical home for me for some reason. It it seems to. Uh, fit with me very easily and I don't know why that is possibly because it's an easy tune it's an easy key to play in on a, on a whistle but anyway that that sort of appeals to me for you with the melodeon do you have enough of an understanding between the difference between a melodeon and an accordion to to make any call or are you a little bit like me where you you don't really know like what is there is there something drawing you towards the melodeon over the, the accordion it it looks a lot less heavy to carry. <laughs> <laughs> With all the gigging you're going to be doing. With all the gigging I'm going to be doing, exactly. I mean, there's a PA as well. Like, bump you know, in, so bump out. 
yeah. So uh, no, it just it looks. I know it's not simple to play. I I believe it, it's quite difficult to play. Um, but what isn't right? Um, so it's not that. It's just there's something about the simplicity of it that really appeals to me. Even though I know it's it's as complex as anything else in the universe, right? It's as complex and deep as as you want it to be, and as you're mm-hmm. you know you can dive as deep as you want with it. So. Um, so I'm just very intrigued. It could be that the first time I sit down with one in my lap and try and fit her through a tune, uh, that 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 will change. But I don't know. We'll see. I'll keep you well, posted. I'm, I'm, I'm putting the call out to our uh, Australian listeners. If anyone if anyone has one that they could lend Dom, Dom doesn't know I'm saying this, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, get in contact with us when, when the whole lockdown and is finished. We should just test these waters. I'd be interested uh, to know. That would be. That would be really fun. Yeah, I would I would really love to give that a go. So anyway, uh, part of the reason we're talking about this is because today's guest is a beautiful player. He's a really fascinating guy. His name is Kieran Kelly. You may know him. Uh, many of you listeners may know him from uh, his postings on Facebook where he posts material from uh, an archive of VHS tapes that he recorded over many years. And we're going to talk about that in this chat today. So we're really excited to have been able to chat to him and his playing is exquisite. So yeah, this is, that's what's coming up. And if you find yourself thirsting for an extra dose of Melodian, the place to go is Kyol FM because Kyol FM, as you may know, is uh, is our uh, sponsor at the moment. And on Kyol FM, you can basically specify exactly what instruments you'd like to hear, what tempo you'd like to listen to, what sort of mood you're in, and it will curate for you an entire panoply of Irish music to listen to. What, what, what was that word? A panoply. That sounds like a uh, a dessert. That sounds it lovely. <laughs> a panoply. Go on. You have me. She turned up and she had freshly made panoply. Yeah. You had me at panoply. So anyway, uh, that sounds like your cup of tea, and frankly, why wouldn't it? You go to keol.fm, C-E-O-L.fm, and it's all there for you. It's your only man for for listening to tunes. It is. Shall we get into it? Yep, let's do that. Here is today's guest, Kieran Kelly. Enjoy. Thank you. 
<laughs> Kieran Kelly, welcome to the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. Thank you. That was fantastic. What was, what were those tunes? The two tunes are uh, the first one there is the Four Courts, and the second one there, as far as I know, is Paddy Taylor's. Right. And uh, are you playing the melodeon there? Is that the melodeon? Well, it's uh, well. It looks like an accordion there, but there's stops on it as well. So I suppose you could call it a melodeon. Um, if you were playing one of these in in England, they'd call it a melodeon. Over here, it just looks like a two-row box there with uh, a few stops on top. Right. So it's it's funny because my dad used the word melodeon um, as a general uh, bracket for anything with a bellows, basically. <laughs> Um, so uh, so that's different than your single row melodeon that I saw you playing the other day. Yes, the single row melodeon and the box that I normally play, I, I use the same system. Um, it's called push and draw as opposed there to the, the BC system there where you play across rows. So essentially, no matter what box I'm playing, I'm playing in the single row style. So um, the the melodeon there is in the key of G, and the box that I was playing a minute ago is in C sharp and D. So I, I more or less treat it as a one row melodeon, if you like. Same style there as say the likes of uh, Martin O'Connor or Jackie Daly. Now you're you're running at a million miles an hour there for someone someone like me. So I'll, I'm gonna <laughs> try and pick up as much as I can on the way, and I might do a bit of a research in the background to figure out what exactly you're talking about. So push and pull then, Kieran. Um, we've talked a wee bit about this with Joe Fitzgerald. I think. Can you give me a little, uh, uh, little kind of potted description of the push and pull that you're talking about there? Push and draw. Okay. Oh, sorry. Push and draw. Essentially, the the ten key melodeon has, you know, ten ten keys there on it there, and there's a different note. Uh, whether you push the box in or you pull it out or draw it out again there. So that's where the, the, the push and draw comes from. There's 20 notes altogether in a 10 key melodeon. Um, the chromatic scale there that uh, BC box players normally use, which is the majority of accordion players, they tend to play across the two rows all the time, uh, which is a much smoother, if you like, and much much maybe a little bit more flowing uh, style there of accordion playing, whereas the push and draw style, the melodeon style, tends to be a bit more staccato um, and not not as free flowing, maybe there. But uh, it's uh, better for dancing, I think. Uh, dancers there prefer, I think, there to dance there to the melodeon music or the, the push and draw style. Do you do you play a lot for dancers? I started off um, when I was very, very young playing at dancing classes, if you don't mind, um, in my local hall in County Fermanagh. Um, and in recent years, uh, if you go back there to the start of the 1990s, when the set dancing boom started here, um, I found myself playing for set dancing quite a lot, if only because I was one of the few people about there who played slides and polkas as well as the, the usual reels and jigs. So um, I spent quite a while there at that. There, I suppose um, for 12 years I had a band uh, playing for set dancing all over the north. Um, I eventually packed that in, but I still play for set dancing there two or three times a year in Belfast. What started you on the music? Where does it come from for you? 
Well, um, my mother played the, the fiddle, though she would have called it a violin or she was classically trained. Uh, my dad didn't play anything, but he had a great interest there in Irish music. And I had an uncle, two uncles, two brothers, who both played accordion. Uh, one of them, my uncle Morris, used to go to England every year to work. And uh, whenever he went to England, he left his accordion uh, in, in its case in our house. And uh, somehow or other, it ended up under my bed. Uh, I was about seven years old at the time. So uh, naturally enough, um, curiosity got the better of me. And uh, I used to take it out there whenever I thought nobody was listening and played about with it a wee bit. So uh, my uncle eventually came back uh, after six months in England and noticed that the case was opened and asked, you know, had somebody been at the box? And my, my mother, I think, there confessed. Well, I think that Kieran boy was at it. So my uncle, he was very, very enthusiastic about this there. So he asked me to show, show him what I, I could play, which was very little. But then he gave me great encouragement and the following year, uh, in the month of February or March, when he headed off to England again, uh, he landed at our house with the box and said, you play away on that boy and we'll see how you've got on the time I get back there in the winter. So that's how I started. Wow. <laughs> that's a, that's great. That's great. So how, how was the how was it when he came back and you... Well, he came, he came back and, you know, he sat down and, you know, found out what I could play and played a few tunes for me and, you know, encouraged me to, to learn those. There. So I didn't need much encouragement because I thought it was great. Um, it was great to be able to make noise. But the brothers and sisters there weren't too enthusiastic about it, there, to be quite honest. <laughs> it's, a pre- it's a pretty exciting piece of machinery for a child to look at, isn't it? It is. Um, it, it can also have been very frustrating there as well, but I, I enjoyed it. And uh, the best thing was uh, that uh, a few years later, um, my uncle came home from England with uh, a new accordion and uh, told me that the the one that had been under my bed from then on was mine. So I was over the moon. Now, I suspect uh, that money changed hands, uh, but my mum and dad never said uh, so all of a sudden, you know, aged well, nine years old, I had an accordion and away I went. And did you have friends around you that were, were playing music as well? No, funny enough, not. Um, no, no, nobody else in the family there played. My mum played a bit, though she played mostly on the piano. Um, there wasn't all that much music there in the house. And it wasn't really until I went to school, to secondary school, that I met other people there who were, who were playing tunes there. But... I was a sort of a late developer, if you like, there. So it was. It wasn't really until I got to university, uh, when I was seventeen, that I began to meet other musicians and uh, sit and play tunes with them. Yeah, would would mum play a tune on the violin? She did, but not very often. She was the local uh, organist uh, in, the, in the chapel on a Sunday there. So you know, she had sort of got out of the way of playing the fiddle. Uh, the fiddle sat in this case most of the time, and um, you know there were there was a record player in the house. Um, there were records of traditional music, uh, which I listened to constantly, um, of different accordion players, of say the fiddle player Sean Maguire, people like that. Uh, all far above my ability at the time there, but uh, it didn't stop me listening to them. There, I, I loved listening to music. So, where where were you? Where were you growing up? I grew up there in County Fermanagh, 
um, near the town there of Lisnesky. Um We were we lived originally there in a house uh, which had no running water or no electricity. It was fairly fairly old, um, and um, we moved a couple of miles away there whenever a new housing development was built. Whenever I was about ten or eleven. Um, but as I say, they're in the southern end of Fermanagh, not too far away from the border with the Republic, and about three miles there from the town of Clonus uh, in County Monaghan. And when were you going to school? What, what years were you going to secondary school, just so I get a sort of picture of... Well, um, I was at uh, St Michael's in Inniskillen, uh, the grammar school there, from 1967 to 1974. So I went to school, if you like, there uh, just before the troubles started, and then I was at school in Enniskillen there for the, most of the early years of the Troubles. Yeah, and then, and then you, um, when you went to university, did you go in the north? or? I went there to university there in, um, in Coleraine um, through a, a freak circumstance there. I could only apply there to either Queen's University or the University of Ulster in Coleraine. So I ended up there in Coleraine doing an Irish degree uh, and a teaching qualification and um, took things on from there. Right. So so when you go to university and you start hearing uh, different players, who are some of the, the people that you were playing with? And, and where were the where was the music happening if you were up in Coleraine? Yeah, well, if you're up in Coleraine, you generally, most of the students there stayed in either Portrush or Port Stewart. Um, I had gone to university there, and I knew a few guys there from school, the likes of uh, Fenton McManus, who is a great bazooki player and uh, guitar player. And uh, Kieran Curran, um, another guy there from Canale and County from Manor there, who actually there um, you probably know as the bazooki player in Alton. So Kieran and Fenton were at university along with me. And um, eventually, you know, I heard that there were things called sessions going on somewhere. And I got invited <laughs> along there to one of these and uh, because I had an accordion, but... Uh, Unfortunately for me, the accordion that I had was in BC and uh, I found that I was playing tunes in all the wrong keys, which caused a bit of consternation um, for a while. Um, but we met a guy called Graham Kirkham from Leicester, who was a Morris dancer and who had a melodeon, a two-row honer melodeon in the keys of D and G. So we came to the arrangement that uh, he would leave the, the melodeon in the library and the university library on a Friday evening, I'd pick it up, play tunes on it all weekend, and then leave it back in the library there on Monday morning. So that's how I got through my uh, four years at university playing tunes. So you're talking about sessions there. Um, where was the place in Portrush where the sessions Well, were? there were a number of places. Sessions in Portrush were generally held there in a harbour bar, which was a wonderful bar. spot, a wonderful spot, because at that time there were two or three small rooms or snugs in the bar and there was just enough room there for about say five or six musicians and nobody else and it was perfect you know you get in you sat down there you start playing tunes and you know nobody annoyed you because there's no more room for anybody to come into the place there so yeah, the the snug is a uh, is tailor-made for a well-contained session <laughs> yes it is and the sound tends to be very very good as well especially if you have a you know, a hard floor and wood panelling there in the walls and things like that. Uh, musicians tend to seek out places like this there to play tunes in as opposed to the ones with 
large amounts of carpet and sound deadening curtains, you know. So I tell you, for two two fellas that are sitting in Australia, it, the snug is a is a, is a dream compared to the some of the cavernous rooms <laughs> that <laughs> you're subjected to. But you know, when in Rome. So I found myself at university there in the, in the company there of um, a number of different people. Um, Gary Hastings, for example, there who is now a Church of Ireland minister, but a great flute player. Gary was at the university at the time. Um, Diane Skillen from Bangor there, who's a great fiddle player. She was there at the time. Uh, Brian Mullen from Derry, who's a great traditional singer and now works for Radio Foil. Um, Brian was there as well. Uh, Joe McHugh from Derry, Ellen Piper. So it was no surprise there when uh, after a couple of months, uh, myself, um, Brian, the singer, uh, Joe McEwen Pipes and uh, Kieran Curran and Fenton McManus on uh, Kieran played the, the bazooki or the, the sitter as I think it was at the time and Fenton played bazooki. We found the, the four of us, the five of us found ourselves playing together uh, more or less every opportunity we got. Uh, right. So it was the Harbour Bar either in Port Rush or the Yanker Bar in Port Stewart. Right. Yeah. What, what were those just uh, I'm very familiar with both of those towns um and and um how would you describe those towns for somebody who's never been to either of them well portrush there is a typical seaside town uh, lots of b&b's bed and breakfasts um train station you know lots of visitors from belfast at the weekend um the barry's yeah barry's <laughs> barry's amusements that's right helter skelters and all sorts of things uh, Port Stewart there is another seaside town about five miles away um, and it has a reputation as being a place that lots of people like to retire to so it'll be a little bit more genteel I suppose than Port Rush would have been uh, if only because they didn't have the hordes descending on the place from Belfast uh, at the weekends. Um, and they didn't have um, they didn't have Kelly's nightclub either Kelly's nightclub. Yeah Kelly's nightclub was there was a was a well-known uh, place of, um, I don't know whether it was low repute or high repute, it all depended who you were I suppose, I stayed well clear of it anyway and it's still there I, It's still going, yeah um, Would you give us another couple of tunes and then we'll talk a bit more, um, Darren you're going to have to reel me in if I get too nostalgic about the North Coast So, No, I love it, <laughs> the, the North Coast the North, in, the North in itself to me was a I don't know. It was just a place we. I didn't really spend much time in as a lad growing up, and I just. I'm fascinated when when I, I sit in and I listen to you, Dom, and you're talking to someone from that area because it's. I know it's. I know it's the same country, but often I feel like it's culturally so different. And I'm kind of looking into this other world that I've never had a, a glimpse into. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, I suppose oh, you yeah. know. You know, we would feel very much the same there. You know, whenever we head down, say to you know to to. Clare or to you know to Galway there's a totally different vibe down there um you know the people are different you know much more relaxed about things um whereas there in the part of the world that we live in everybody is go 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 it's you know uh every everybody seems to operate there at a, at a, at a quicker speed than they do there across the border yeah I, mean, I would have been interested to hear what Ballycastle is like but maybe that's another conversation for another time well, uh, Ballycastle is a place that I know quite well because I played music for about 20 years in the House of Macdonald in Ballycastle until fairly recently. Uh, every Friday night there with uh, 
our good friend Dick Glasgow and uh, one Hi. or two other guys. So you play with Dick Glasgow? Yes, Dick and myself there have been friends there for over 20 years now. Right, right. So um, he's a big bird man too, isn't he? He's very fond of the birds. and He is a great uh, photographer. Dick there would have been a gamekeeper in another life many, many years ago um, in Scotland. In fact, when he first came to Ireland, I think, he actually worked as a gamekeeper there in County Meath at an estate or two down there. Um, he has a great interest there in, in nature and plants and uh, a great eye for a photograph and he really loves his uh, his bird photography. So uh, just um, to describe the House of MacDonald, I was chatting to someone a couple of weeks ago and they said that they thought it was the best pub in Ireland. <laughs> and it, it has something special about it. Um, so when I was growing up there, I, I used to play in the back room there uh, in a wee band. Yeah, for several years we played in there. Well, a couple of years, I guess, when I was 15 or 16. And uh, the owner was a fellow called Tom O'Neill, who sadly died maybe a year, year and a half ago. That's right, where Tom passed away. Yeah, and he was a real character. And, and the nights that we used to have in there, as a young person, it's it, it's unspeakably exciting to... Uh, get to you know stay in a pub playing music till two in the morning and then have to climb a ladder onto the flat roof at the back and down another ladder to come out through the chippy next door <laughs> what um were, what do you mean was that because it was a lock-in because it was a lock-in yeah right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um so you can imagine like a blustery night and you're you know you're carrying a guitar wrapped up in bin bags and all your stuff and there's this kind of trail of people sort of mysteriously coming out of this chippy that seems to have an endless capacity for people it's like a cartoon car you know it's very rock and roll it's very it was very rock and roll so so that's the house of mcdonald which um it's an amazing pub if you're anyone who's listened to this if you're ever in Ballycastle and you get a chance to go in there it is a long, wood-panelled, mirrored uh, pub, and it's—I don't know—you could probably describe it a lot better than me, Karen. But um. well, that's a low ceiling. Uh, it has a, a gorgeous little snug that holds about four people, uh, <laughs> which we have frequented ourselves on many occasions in the past. And of course, the back room, um, where in recent years the the fire has been lit there in the winter time, and the place is very, very cosy. So. A great spot. It's a wonderful few music. The hospitality there from from Tom and the late Tom and Eileen, his wife there, was second to none. We were always like made welcome. And uh, uh, it's amazing the number of people there from different countries that we met on Friday nights uh, when we were playing tunes there from all parts of the world. I think there that, you know, for quite a long time, when people came to Ballet Castle and were staying overnight, if they wanted to, to find out where... Uh, if they asked to find out where the tradition music was, they would invariably be sent down to the House of MacDonald. Um, and, you know, that's that's where, where the, the, ch- the tunes were anyway on a Friday night. There'd also be a, a, a monthly session on a Saturday night there with a few local musicians as well. But I was invariably up there on a Friday night, um, mainly because it was uh, nearly an hour's drive away from where I live. Yeah. Well... Could you give us a couple of tunes and then we'll, Why not? we'll carry on? My Nostalgia Fest. <laughs> uh, this time I think we'll play a few polkas. Uh, better not ask me the names of them because I'll not be able to tell you. <laughs> 
Kieran, great stuff. Thank you. I have a question, uh, Kieran. Just with the earlier on, you mentioned about the um, the syncopated style of the the push draw and them being popular in dances. Those um those type of tunes. What what makes them dance tunes? Uh, well, the, those tunes, polkas, for example, there have been used there to you know to play for the the sets in places there like uh, Kerry, Clare, Galway, um, for years and years. They're they're fairly simple tunes, but they're they're lively and they have the most important thing about them is that they have a strong rhythm, you know, a simple melody but a strong rhythm, and uh, dancers, you know, like a good rhythm if you like there in music there to dance to. Uh, Noel Hill, the, the concertina player, um, once said in an interview that the worst thing he could say about a musician was that he stuck the dancer's feet to the floor. So um, being, being able to play in a, in, a, in a lively style, especially for set dancing, now Kayleigh dancing there like would be uh, a little bit more genteel and a wee bit more relaxed, but uh, for set dancing anyway there for the, the sets, you know, you need lively music. Uh, the dancers there enjoy it, the livelier the music is there. So um, that's the, the whole point, I suppose, there of <clears throat> playing playing the way that I do. Is that something that you can you can kind of show me with the the with the instrument you have in front of you, with the particularly with the the push draw style? Uh, yes, it's probably a bit awkward there, but uh, the <laughs> that's we, take, right. we take we take a simple tune, for example, you know. Now that's you know fairly smooth or even or flowing if you like there. That'll be typical there of uh, you know the BC box style. But uh, um, if you're playing push and draw, you tend to emphasise certain notes and certain parts of the tune. Sense? Okay. Completely. Thank you for that. So, next question, Kieran. Uh, what's a slide? <laughs> <laughs> we were chatting last week. We were chatting last week, and um, with you and Baker, the fiddle player from uh, from Australia here, and he played. Uh, I think he played "Merrily Kiss the Quaker's Wife," and we were talking about whether that was a slide or not. And I was on very slippery ground myself because um, I remembered seeing it in a book. And beneath it was a tune called Dennis Murphy's, I think. Um, but I don't know if they were both slides. But anyway, we were talking about slides, and then we were kind of thinking, what's a slide? So what's a slide? Well, a slide there, it's uh, it's more or less there in, in jig time, but played there again in a, with certain emphasis, if you like, there for dancing. Uh, slides tend to be fairly speedy tunes. Um, again, you know, if you're playing there for set dancing and there's a slide figure in the dance there you know you need you need to play there at uh, uh, a certain speed and with a certain lift in it as well so um typical slides uh, something like this here Put the emphasis, if you like, there on certain notes at the end of each bar, and uh, yeah. the dancers there dance dance to that particular beat, if you like. Right, right. Do you dance yourself? Oh Lord, no. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I had brothers and sisters who were great Irish dancers there, but I uh, reneged. I, I went to dancing classes whenever I was a, a, a young fellow there until uh, they threatened there to fit me out of the kilt. And then I put my hand up and said, please, no. Uh, can, I, can I play the accordion at the dancing class instead? And uh, my dancing career came to an end. Fair enough. Fair enough. It, it's an interesting um, thing that when I was growing up in the 80s, Irish dancing was still not something that people were particularly excited about or excitable about, other than um, thinking up ways to avoid it, really. Yeah. You know? Did you do it, Dom? No, I never did it. My sisters did it, though. Um, and, and I actually, funnily enough, did play a bit for the same as yourself, Kieran, for the dancing on very odd occasions when um, absolutely nobody else could be found. <laughs> So, um, uh, but I was always the, the thing that was always emphasized to me was to not play too fast, right? So these were for for learner dancers particularly, and and you also you know to be able to play fast you have to be able to play well, right? And vice versa. So, so so Kieran, thinking about your own playing then, um, when when you were playing and you know throughout your sort of high school years, are you mainly sort of practicing in the house? Yes, um, that was that was it. There were very very few other musicians of my own age around uh, where we lived, so the vast majority of playing that I did was just actually in the house uh, when uh, everybody else in the house there was content to let me uh, make noise. Normally upstairs, as far away from the rest of them as possible. <laughs> um, I remember there a, a few years back, I went down home to um, a wake of a neighbour. Uh, a next door neighbour, and uh, the first question or the first thing there that uh, the the son of the deceased there said to me was, "God, he says I remember hearing you stamping your feet playing that accordion next door whenever I was small." So, uh, quite a lot of people there, I suppose, there weren't all that fussed on the music at the time. Can you put your finger on what it was that was driving you to do it? Uh. I don't know. It, it, it was just a, a love of the music. I like, you know, all sorts of music there. But, you know, being able to play music myself, you know, gave me a great buzz. Um, it gives you a great feeling of satisfaction there. And, uh, you know, that was magnified hugely there whenever I went to university. And I could sit and play music regularly there with other people. You know, that was, as you know, Gary Hastings once described it. It was like a bomb going off in your head. You know, things were never the same there once you discovered the delights of playing with other people at a session. And so, when you were a young fellow, would 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 your mind's eye drift off to to imagining yourself playing sessions with other people, or was it more were you a type of lad that would imagine getting making a record or, or recording yourself? Uh, no, I um I wouldn't have thought I was making a record at all. To be quite honest, um. I wouldn't have known at that particular time what a session was, again, because I didn't know any other musicians my own age. Um, and it mm -hmm. wasn't really until I went to university that I discovered that there were people sitting uh, regularly in local bars playing tunes for the fun of it, that I realised that such a thing as a session existed. Uh, as I say, I played music there for the dancing classes there, but that, that was it. That's such a pure... A pure love of, of music like a, well maybe that's just in relation to my own worldview but to, to think of a 
a young a, a kid playing music just for the love of of playing music there's no um there's no aspiration you're not you're not you're not learning tunes so you you're going to be sitting in the session or you're you're not looking to to make your own record you're you're playing so you can play for the dance and for yourself yes yes that was basically it and uh you know my father there as i say he didn't play any instrument himself but he was forever you know lilting uh this tune or that tune or the other tune there to be and saying you, you know this one or have you ever heard this one before and uh you know he encouraged me to to learn tunes that he liked uh which was another spur if you like there at the time do you, do you lilt yourself oh lord no <laughs> there are some things that are best left unheard <laughs> it's an interesting one the the little thing I, yeah what what was your what was your dad like as um um you know you you mentioned there about tunes he was like where was he what was he listening to well, um, again, I mentioned the record player in the house. Uh, there would Aye. have been, you know, there were a number of records that were always being played. There's the Tullochilly band, there was the Kilfenor Kelly band, and there was always an argument as to which of the two was better. Uh, there were the records there of uh, Sean Maguire and uh, the fiddle playing, and then there would have been the accordion records of Finbar Dwyer and Kevin Lachlan. So um, those were the records that my father had in the house and uh, the ones that we would have been listening to there, you know, whenever I was growing up. And were you hearing much on the radio? Yes. Now, the, whenever I was, you know, um, until I was about 10, I remember telling you that we lived in a house with no electricity uh, or running water there. But uh, on a Saturday night, I was allowed to sit up with my father to sit and listen to Kelly House on the radio. So uh, that was quite a, a treat there because the the rest of my brothers and sisters would all have been in bed by that time. So nine o'clock on a Saturday night, Kelly House on the radio, and I was allowed to sit with my father there to listen to whatever music was on that particular night. And that was on, as my father would have said, on, on Athlone? Yes, on Athlone as we called it then, or Radio Wearing as it is now. Aye. So who were the, who who's the host of Kelly House? Can you tell us a wee bit about that? Because it's, it's such a hallowed kind of historic institution now right I, I i might have to be corrected on this there um it might have been somebody like kieran mcmahona or something like that um i don't honestly remember it's a it's a long time ago right um but uh, as i say it was it was the you know we had no electricity so there was no tv so uh, we relied on the radio uh, for whatever music that we could we could find. And Saturday night there was the the highlight of the week with Kelly House on the radio. What did your dad do for for a living? My dad there was he drove a milk lorry. Now this was before um, you know the 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 milk tankers that we see in the roads nowadays came in. He drove the roads along the Fermanagh Monaghan border with a lorry full of creamy cans and you know he lifted creamy cans there of milk there onto the lorry and left empty ones off did that seven days a week 365 days a year uh, because obviously cows don't take holidays um, but he would have been finished his run every day at about what three o'clock in the afternoon so right and did you did you see a lot of them then well, he would have been up and away every morning there, but um, you know, right. home there every afternoon. Eventually, the guy that he worked for retired, and uh, my dad got a job there in the local creamery uh, that he used to deliver the milk to in the ski there. So, 
um, and he was working nights, um, funny enough, for most of his time there. So we didn't see all that much of him. He would sort of get up in the morning or in the afternoon about one o'clock, uh, having been in bed there since eight in the morning and uh, would have been away again at five or six. And was he then still doing the lists of the canisters when um, when the trouble started? Oh, yeah, he was indeed. Because that, obviously that whole border area was um, was pretty difficult. It was. Um, now, the actual border crossings would all have been cratered um, so that, um, you know, you couldn't actually drive. You know, quite a lot of the, as they call it, the unapproved roads uh, were cratered there. But, you know, at that time, you weren't allowed there to take a commercial vehicle uh, from the north into the south. Um, so, for example, there, whenever um, I was out with my father on a Sunday, as a young fella, you know, he would drive to the border on a Sunday morning, take the bicycle off the back of the lorry, put me on the bar, cycle into Clonus there to Mass, uh, and then after Mass was over, cycle back to the border, throw the bicycle on the back, and uh, continue with the milk run. That's a classic border story, right? Isn't it? From lots of different countries, right? The the sort of hard nature of the border and also the imaginary nature of it. Yeah. When you were growing up then, was was it, um, particularly in your teenage years, um, did you have any sense of uh, playing this kind of music as being a predominantly nationalist preoccupation? Um, probably, though it wouldn't have taken up a big pile of attention, to be quite honest. Um, you know, because like any other teenager there at school, going to school on the bus there every every day, um, the troubles were sort of going on all around us there. But, um, you know, we, we were in a sort of a unique position there because all the grammar school kids in our area, um, whether they were Protestant or Catholic, travelled together in the same bus. Um, and, you know, the, the guys from St. Michael's, they would have been chatting up the girls from the collegiate. They would get, you know, the guys from Port Royal would have been chatting up the girls there from the convent. Uh, we all got on very, very well, and um, that remained unchanged, you know, the whole way through my my seven years there at the, at the grammar school, travelling on the bus, you know, in spite of the fact there that there was a, a, an awful lot going on around us there. So, But um, it would never have occurred to me, you know, that right. the music there was, you know, associated there just with one, one side of the community or not, you know, so definitely not at that time. Was it that way in Ballycastle? Uh, well, the well, first thing I noticed there, you know, whenever I started playing at sessions in uh, in university in Coleraine, was that, you know, a, a number of the musicians that I came in contact with were from the other community. And, you know, nobody passed any remarks about who you were or where you came from. Essentially, we were all there to play music. We all were great friends. And, you know, even, even today, you know, whenever I go to Belfast, you know, the, the, you find yourself in the middle there of a very diverse group of people there from different backgrounds, different religious backgrounds and all the rest. It, it doesn't really matter as far as, you know, and that's the great thing about the music during the Troubles. Um, you know, people, they kept playing music um, in different parts of the country. Um, and, you know, the Troubles didn't really impinge all that much there on it, I don't think. Yeah, right. So, Karen, do you think we could have another tune? And then I want to start asking you about <clears throat> your collecting of broadcasts. Okay. 
Um, what do you fancy? What do you fancy doing? I think we'll play a jig this time. This is one composed there by Padero Reda. Uh, and there comes another email. Uh, Padero Reda, they're called, and you just called it Sport. Um, nice tune. <laughs> So, Kieran, I know myself and Dom both want to ask you about this because both of us follow you on 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 social and particularly on Facebook. You post a lot of archival footage, and it, to us anyway, it seems like you have a, a a bottomless well of vintage archival footage and recordings. Are they from VHS? Where where do they all come from? Well, very very simply, um, you know, whenever I left um, university. Um, I got a job there in Cookstown here in County Tyrone and uh, I found you know, the, the work took up a lot of time there but I tried to record as much as I could from the TV uh, again whatever music I could find um, programs on RTE, UTV or whatever it was um, so I built up there over time quite a collection there of videotapes um, mainly their stuff there from late 1980s, 1990s, through to about uh, 2005, I think. Um, they sat uh, in a cupboard here, uh, untouched for quite a long time, until about three years ago, when I decided there to take one out and play it. And I found to my horror that uh, the tape was damp and wouldn't play. So I thought I would need to do something very, very quickly there to, before the rest of the tapes went in a similar direction. So I spent about three months digitizing all the tapes and um, this sat in a hard drive there on the computer here at home. So um, that's wow. where that's where they all came from uh, initially. You know? So I'm still cross so, about the number of tapes that I have, uh, which I had recorded some great music on, which, uh, you know, they're... 
suffered because of damp and which I, I couldn't rescue. Um, I lost some great music in those, but um, I had more than enough there, I think, there and the, and the rest there. So um, so when you were setting off to, to start recording, what what was your, did, did you have an end purpose in mind? Learning tunes. I was sort of starved of music there, if you like, there for a, a period there when, whenever I started teaching there, because um, while I, I got out to play tunes there once or once or twice a week sometimes, um, work was fairly intensive there and you know I didn't have all that much spare time so the recording music on TV on the front of TV was what I did there to to uh, relax if you like there whenever the work was over um, so as I say I recorded anything I could find uh, my collection I suppose there wasn't uh, anywhere near as, as, as big as some some other people that I know but uh, I suppose I'm one of the few people who went to the bother of digitizing it all. Um, mm -hmm. I'm quite sure that there are lots of people in the country there who have lots of tapes there of TV programs that they recorded themselves there, but which, you know, have fallen into disuse and which they have thrown out or whatever. So when you were digitizing them, and you, I would imagine you would have um, you would have archived them and and put them into different categories. And did, did you did you do it that way, or is it just get them onto a digital format? Definitely not. That sounds like too much work. <laughs> Essentially, all that I did was because again, they have to be digitized in real time. You know, I would uh, I would play the tape through there on the VHS machine here, and uh, you know, stop it at the end of each set, stick a name on it there, and go on to the next one. Uh, and just go through that until I had the three-hour tape, whatever it was, uh, finished. Um, so I have, I think, about 1,500 um, clips of um, archive music there, as I say, in the collection. So I think I, I'm right in thinking that you came to the end of that 1,500, maybe at the middle of last year sometime, is that right? And then you decided to start back at the right back at the start again i kept getting all these messages there from people there who said well we didn't see you know we didn't we only <laughs> we only started looking at these about three months ago there could you start putting them all back up again so this is actually the third time through to be quite honest um right. i started there in uh, let me see i think it was october 2016 the first time round. um I, again it was totally by chance i had uh, a good friend there in Belfast uh, I was telling that I had these tapes and uh, she asked about you know what sort of things that I had so I said well let's sort of put up a few up on Facebook uh, which I did and um, things sort of went mad there from there people there started asking if I had any more and all of a sudden you know there it was sort of nearly expected that I would post a clip there every day so um, but they, they have been a great um, they've been great door if you like there to to meeting people um people there have got in touch with me there from four all four corners there of the planet there about you know this clip or that clip or the other clip and uh, um the thing to, to remember about them was that you know quite a lot of what i recorded um wouldn't have been seen by you know even people in parts of the north because they wouldn't have had a strong enough rte signal um, course, yeah. none of that stuff none of none of it would have been seen there by people in England never mind you know other parts of the world there so whenever I started posting the stuff it was you know it was like um, opening the door of a sweet shop there for lots of people so oh listen I, I, I couldn't agree more I mean um, when I 
first saw, I, I, I don't think it was uh, one of your clips, but when I saw first saw a clip of Planksty on the Late Late Show from from way back, I was just blown away. And then I was like, what? All this stuff exists? Um, and and so those sh- so all those clips and all those shows they are they have so many dimensions to them. There's the playing, there's the music, there's the setting, there's the outrageous fashions. <laughs> RTE used to have this habit there of insisting that you wore a very very colourful shirt for a TV recording there. So um, people went down into RTE there to do the program there with what they thought there was a decent shirt. And somebody in the wardrobe there would say, no, 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 wear this here instead there. So people were given all sorts of outrageous shirts to wear for the recording of the program. Fantastic. It's just, you know, um, they are great exemplars of, I guess, the incidental or accidental depth that an artifact has, right? So obviously the music itself and the playing is significant, but everything around it, just the presentation, the the setup pictures that you have, you know, the setup images of the outside of um, the outside of the pub, or I, don't, I can't remember if that was for, you know, the one with the, the two the two lights outside it, um, and, um, and and just all these dimensions, and then the graininess and the the strange kind of um, visual quality of the old VCR. It all just adds to it. It gives it this whole. Um, I don't know, this this whole kind of added depth. The other thing about the the tapes there was that to give uh, the current younger generation of musicians uh, a window there into what the music was like, you know, there 20, 25, 30 years ago, um, which, you know, they don't get on YouTube or they wouldn't get there from, uh, you know, any other source. so you know, lots of young people there. Apparently, there you know, like like the clips. They can, they might have heard of lots of musicians who are now gone. They might never have seen them play before until the clips there started appearing on Facebook. So we'll take the music, but you can keep yeah. your shirts. Yes, without a doubt. When you're going through this, um, and you know, obviously there are players who I, I, I suppose have a stronger influence on you than others. Are there particular clips or particular musicians that you would direct people to and say, "You got to check this out. This is one of the ones that continually amazes me." Yeah, well, I mean, obviously everybody has their favorites. Uh, as yeah. a box player, whenever I was young, there I was fascinated there by the box playing there of the likes of. Uh, Jackie Daly or Martin O'Connor so there are plenty of those clips Uh, again they play in the same style that I do or let's say I try and play in the style that they do Um, and as well as that you know you have great fiddle players there like Frankie Gavin who is still alive and well and playing away Uh, and greats there like say Paddy Cronin uh, Paddy Canny you know legends there from years gone by who are no longer with us there so um, there, no, there are loads and loads of people um, that I can think of. Um, there are some clips, obviously, there which have proved much, much more popular than others. Um, some of them there have got thousands and thousands of views and hundreds and hundreds of shares. Um, one particular one, for example, there being uh, a clip there of Artie Midlin, who passed away there a short time ago. Um, I was uh, amazed at the number of views that it had racked up. Um, 
you know, the last time that I looked. Um, clips there of uh, Noel Hill and Alec Finn. Uh, right. Clips there of people there like uh, Dolores Kane, um, you know, singing. There, there's, there's, a number, there's a great clip there of uh, Dave Munley and his brother Kieran playing a Melodian and a Boron. Um, that has got huge numbers of views there as well. Um, so I say there, there's no end. There's something for everybody, I think, you know, there in the, in the collection of clips, whether you're a, a piper or a fiddle player or a flute player or a box player. Did you, When you were going through the, the clips and digitising them, do you, do you post everything or do you curate? I curated a, a one or two bits and pieces. I remember there, you know, one or two recordings that I had there where uh, obviously a musician there was a little bit worse for wear and not playing their best. And, uh, you know, in a case like that, I thought, no, it wouldn't be fair to put up the likes of that there. So I would have I would have sort of skipped over the occasional one here and there. But, uh, no, lar- largely speaking, you know, most of the stuff that uh, that I recorded... Uh, that I digitized there, I've posted. I, there were a few clips there where the my better half, you know, now this is something that people who don't have VHS recorders there wouldn't wouldn't appreciate. But um, years ago there, it used to be the case that uh, if you wanted to record a program, you took a tape and you fired it into the machine whenever your program came on. So uh, whenever Coronation Street came on or whatever soap it was that my wife was watching at the time, she had a tendency sometimes to grab a tape, any tape, put it in and to press the record button. So um, every now and then, you know, there a particularly good piece of music there would end up, you know, getting cut off in its prime there by, dum, dum, uh, dum, dum. by uh, a, an episode there of a particular soap opera or whatever it was there. But thankfully not too many, but there were a few. Yeah. I was just asking you about the curating because I think with any project, often take it's the stuff you don't put in there is often the hardest decision. It's it, it, the your favorites bubble to the top, but then you often spend more time going, oh, do I really want to use this? Do do I put this in?" And then that becomes the tell of what what you don't put in. I'd I'd say that in my own case that that didn't happen very often. Uh, it was more the case that sometimes whenever I was digitizing a tape. Uh, the sound quality on the tape there got worse and worse as the you know the digitizing went on, and eventually there it would deteriorate to such a stage that I th- thought no I couldn't show anybody any of this, so you know I'd stop the I'd stop the tape there and then, uh, but that was because of the condition of the tape as opposed to the quality of the music. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd I'd love to 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 ask you then just about, uh, and you might I don't know if you're able to answer this, but um. What sense do you have of, well, the particular shows that were particularly significant, TV shows, what what were they in this size? Because you're, you're absolutely right about the fact that in the North there was As I Roved Out and um, a couple of other things on Ulster Television that I can't remember the name of. Um, but I think Tony McCauley was the producer of a lot of BBC stuff. Um, but this the ones from RTE never, never reached the far north coast till i don't know till the till the late 80s so the there was a series called the pure drop the one that i got most of the recordings there from um the one of the oldest ones there was one called bring down the lamp uh which was in the early 1980s but i only had very very few clips from that show because uh, to be quite honest at the time i didn't realize that it existed um i only have a few clips 
uh, which I got from a friend and a neighbour who recorded those programmes. Um, other shows, well, there have been a number of um, other shows like Gantry on TG4 in recent years, but I think that series is now finished. Uh, it ran for about 10, 15 years, I think, there in the, uh, the early 2000s. Um, and that would have been it there, more or less. You know, the format sometimes changed. You know, the presenters changed there, but uh, the, the programmes were essentially the, the same. You know, the musicians brought in to play a few tunes and chat about them, and that was it. Yeah, I would say that um, on Facebook, you know, you have those um, little things like you can put a heart shape or whatever, or there should be one for just for your feed because like that has a special, <laughs> a special kind of response because um, the stuff is so amazing. I'm continually bowled over by it. And, and um, like I say, for all those different reasons, the music you're playing, the just the window into a particular time and a particular style of playing and and yeah it's it's a beautiful thing and anybody who's listened to this should uh, they probably know of it already but if they if they don't they should check it out so um do you think we could have another tune and then i have a few more questions if that's all right are you okay for time of course i am not a problem okay we'll try we'll try a tune on the g melodion here this is a, a 10 key instrument uh, which was left to me there by, uh, I think it was a relation of my wife's. Uh, it arrived in our house there in a plastic bag anyway, um, fairly battered. Um, I sent it down there to Martin Quinn, um, who was in Longford at the time there. He renovated it for me. Um, it's a bit difficult to play. It's a bit like wrestling with a cat. Sometimes the melodion wins and sometimes I win there. So, But uh, there's a nice sound of it. So... Um, We'll try tuning it. Kieran, what was that tune? That uh, well-known tune called The Bucks of Oran Moor. The Bucks of Oran Moor. I, <laughs> I knew I knew it. I knew I knew it. Uh, sure you did, your chance there. I'm going to edit that now to make it sound like I knew that before you said it. 
<laughs> just before we move away, Dom, do you mind if I just on um, uh, I've one or two questions which I think are related to your archiving, which is a little bit more contemporary. So at the minute, I was um, looking at your your Instagram and the videos you've been putting up there at the moment the videos you're putting up at the moment just for during quarantine or or is that something that you're planning on on keeping going with uh i, I would just say it's during quarantine um we've been locked down here for the best part there of uh, just over two months or around two months there since about the 13th of march um and I noticed that a few people there had downloaded the acapella app there, so I decided to have a go myself. And uh, I suppose they're you know recording clips there and putting them up there keeps me sane uh, during this particular uh, period. Um, they're so they're so good. I think for for anyone that doesn't because like, I only I, I follow you on Facebook and I hadn't seen any of these because of the way Instagram is and maybe just shows how proficient I am on Instagram. But anyway, when I started going through them they're just they're so well put together so for anyone that isn't aware Karen, maybe you, you'll do a better job of describing how they've been put together than i will well essentially the acapella app there allows you to multi-track um you know a, a number of um, instruments there on video so um what i've been doing is you know recording there uh, a set of tunes there on the melodeon or the the accordion um, accompanying them myself there on guitar and sometimes or guitars and sometimes they're adding a drone there with the bass of the accordion as well so it keeps keeps me amused it takes very little to keep me amused there at the minute i can tell you so um well, i would recommend anyone go and, and check it out it's um it's at c-i-a-r-a-n-k-p is that right yeah c-k-p yeah no worries well we put a link to that in the um in the show notes because it's a it's definitely something to watch well i was going to ask you another couple of questions about the melodeon kieran because well i i think i'm right in thinking that one of the clips that you posted was a clip of would it be john connolly johnny connolly from connemara right he was a father and son yeah yes yeah it's it's a amazing clip and uh i just i i guess the reason that it stuck with me was just there was there was something about older Johnny's playing that that just completely hypnotized me and I don't know what it, I don't know what it is so I don't even have a question I was just I just wanted to sort of well as I say it's the you know it's the rhythm you know that he he had in his music and the life that he had in his music um he was uh, very very popular there for people there who like to do the shandos dancing there because there's great life right. in his music you know um, he was a bit of an institution in Connemara, as far as the ten key melodian was concerned. So, how hard is a ten key melodian to learn? It's probably well, essentially there. If you know, if you can play a harmonica, a harmonica there works in essentially the same way. You know, you've got uh, one note yep. there, blow one sucker, whatever it was there. So, the melodian there is the same: one note push in, one note pull out. Uh, the scale is fairly simple. Um, the the instruments themselves there tend to be fairly light, uh, but that doesn't mean that they're they're easy to play. The more complicated the tune, the the more wrestling you have to do with it. Especially if you have an old one like I have, um, they they don't really want to cooperate at the same speed there that um, uh, you know a modern machine would do. There, a modern accordion. So, 
Um, yeah. I have sort of a love-hate relationship with the one that I have here. Some days it, it works and other days I put it down after a couple of minutes and don't go back to it there. So, Do you play every day? Is it... And say I would say that in recent months during the lockdown, yes. Um, previous to that, I wouldn't have said every day, but mainly because you know, if I was going to a session in Belfast or Ballycastle, you know, you'd be playing there for three hours or four hours, uh, and you know that 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 would keep you content from one end of the week there to the other. Now that uh, we're locked down and we can't get out there to play music with other people. Um, again, I, I suppose I'm playing more in the house than I would have before, uh, but that's only there to say to to solve the frustration at not being able to get out there to play music there with other people. Are you able to put into words what that feels like, that frustration? Uh, well, I suppose you know about five years ago I started going to sessions in Belfast, which I hadn't been out there in a long time. Um, I met up with people that I had known maybe thirty years ago, um, and sort of rekindled old friendships. And uh, you know, it became very much the, the the feature of the week to be able there to go down to to Belfast or Ballycastle, and uh, irrespective of what you've been doing for the rest of the week there, it was your, if you like, your me time. It was your uh, your means of relaxing, it was your means of enjoying yourself, it was the, the thing that you got a buzz out of. Um, so replacing that buzz has been the the main problem there during lockdown, especially there, as I say, when there are no other musicians anywhere near where I live at the minute. Um, but anyway, as I say, we're, we're managing, we're keeping going. I'm uh, Fitting about there with the, the, the acapella app there to keep myself occupied and looking forward to the time that we can get back out and play tunes there with my friends again. Yeah, that seems to be a, a very heartfelt sentiment mm. from everybody, you know. Even me and I hardly know any tunes. <laughs> <laughs> Even me and I hardly hardly any friends. <laughs> uh, I, used to play, I used to play music there in uh, Pomeroy in uh, County Tyrone years ago there with uh, the famous blind fiddle player John Loughran. Um, uh-huh. John there, as I say, there had been blind, blinded whenever he was a young fella there, but uh, a great character, great fiddle player. And uh, he could always sense who was coming through the door into the house. So I, I still remember uh, the day that I landed into his house there with my girlfriend who later became my wife. And uh, John there said, Huh, that's young Kelly. I says, it is indeed. You've got somebody with you. I have. Who is it? It's my girlfriend. What does she play? She doesn't play anything. She must be a sympathiser then. So um, <laughs> you must be a sympathiser as well then, uh, Dominic. I, I, I think that's so. It, actually, I had I don't I'd only read about John um, recently. So were you quite friendly with him? Yes, I. Whenever I came to Cookstown, um, you know, in nineteen seventy-eight or whatever it was, I think it was nineteen eighty-two when I I got my first car. Anyway, um, I started going to sessions um, away from Cookstown, and it was a good one in Pomeroy, and that's where John was. So I would have played with John maybe uh, every Saturday night, sometimes a Friday night, sometimes a Sunday night as well. Uh, for about five or six years until he died. He, he died unexpectedly. He died of a heart attack. While still a relatively young man, so um, yeah. he was quite a character. 
Kieran, it is such a it's been so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time and it's um and thanks for you know putting all that material up and making it available for everyone to see because it's it's totally amazing it's such a such a rich rich um thing for people to be able to get access to so thanks for that uh, thank you very much yourselves uh would you like to uh, play us out with something why not why not i'll play a few horn pipes i think this time So, Kieran almost talked me out of the melodeon there. <laughs> How so? Well, it, what were you expecting? Well, I, I didn't expect him to say, "Oh yeah, go on ahead, it's dead easy." Um, but he did make it. He, he did. He didn't beat around the bush. It, it is like wrestling a cat. He did say so. You know, I mean, I'm you not. Can, I'm, you, I'm not. Uh, you can play a bit of harmonica. I I do play a bit of harmonica, but um, one of the frustrating things that I've always thought about the harmonica is the fact that you have to blow in and out for two different notes. So. <laughs> Whereas the whistle, you just like. the whistle, the, the 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 wind is, the wind is all going in the one direction, right? You're a one directional kind of guy. So you know. Anyway, we'll see. Uh, that was just a uh, uh, really great fun. Um, I've been, yeah. I mean, so uh, I hope you I hope that comes across to you when you're listening to it. That I, I've been completely bewitched because I'm I'm a nostalgist, so I'm completely bewitched by these old clips. Right. What I'm I'm hugely fascinated to to um I would have loved to have listened or seen the tapes that were gone beyond repair. Like this this would probably be a little bit more in the the realms of kind of like the techno and stuff I was talking about. But another I quite like avant garde stuff and experiment, experimental music as well. 
Have I told you or have you heard about the um, the disintegration loops? Yes. Yeah, but you can explain it. Yeah. So there was a guy called William Beskinski, I'm pretty sure, who was like an 80s um, producer. And he made all these loops on quarter-inch tape. And then in late 90s, early 2000s, uh, 2001 actually, he was going to transfer these tapes, much like Kieran, from the old digital, in, oh, sorry, from the old analog into digital. But as he was putting the, the quarter inch tape through the tape heads, the acetate or whatever it is that's on a, on one of the, on those tapes was literally starting to disintegrate and fall off. Probably ex- what was happening with Kieran's tapes, that kind of thing. But this guy is a, was quite an avant-garde um, experimental producer anyway. And these things are like, these loops are like an hour long. So let's say the loop goes, na, 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 na. Well, as the tape literally fell apart, as it went through the tape heads, the loop would go, na, 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 and then come back in and back out. And he just had this beautiful reverb on it. But he recorded that entire process and then released it as an album. And the results are so amazing. So when Kieran was talking about these tapes that he was playing through and the the audio was getting worse i was actually a little bit kind of <laughs> drawn in by the possibilities what what, what might have been missed it's funny because i was listening also during the week to um johnny doran and johnny doran I, i'm 99 sure of the name right so he was a, a a traveling piper and the the recording of it was like really old you could hear the tape warble and the tape um you know, you kind of get that kind of um, delay, oh, not delay, like it is a, it's a, like a warp on the old analog tapes. Anyhow, listening to that, and that's still somewhere in my mind, and then listening to Kieran talking about how he had these VHS tapes that were literally falling apart with water damage, and then I've got the idea of that um, Disintegration Loops album in my, in my mind. I'm thinking, geez, I would love to have got my hands on the the offcuts that didn't work just to, just to see what it could have been like. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Maybe I'm just an art wanker. Nah, no, I, I totally get what you're get where you're coming from. Something in what he was talking about when I when I pictured the the clips from VHS, you know, if they were pristine, you know, digital uh, um, artifacts, they, they would have so much less interest for me. I think, you know, obviously I'd be interested in the music, but the distortion and the wear and tear is is a signifier of their relative antiquity. <laughs> Their, yeah, their age, but and that's kind of what, it, you know, that, that adds a whole other layer of... There's a reason when you go on the Instagrams of the world and you, you pick a filter that it, make, it makes it look like it puts VHS warble in it. You can put the, the static and turn up the grain because that, that aesthetic is, it's, it's, I don't know, there's something warming and nostalgic about it. You just kind of feel like you're getting a bit of a hug. Yeah, yeah. So um, that is Kieran Kelly, who I've been hoping to speak to for many, many months. And uh, that's our 50th episode, which <laughs> which we almost forgot about. It's our 50th episode, yeah, Darren. It is. That's so a pretty nice one. To, in two weeks. So this will be the 50, 50th week I'm going to put the call out for uh, for patrons. Um, thank you to the... Actually, what's weird, in the last week... Actually, two weeks now, people have been upping their don- their donations. So thank you so much for, for doing it. And uh, myself and Dom decided we would continue during 
the COVID lockdown, we, we presumed that it would be pretty much the end of our support. But uh, not only have people continued to support, but people are actually putting extra in, which is fantastic. So thank you so much for that. Um, look, we, as much as people up there, um, their contributions, people come and go all the time too. So we always need new patrons. If you think you can afford to chip in even the, the smallest amount, please do. And uh, you can do that by visiting patreon.com forward slash Bellarney Pilgrims. Um, that, yeah, that'd be really great. Look, the other thing too is rating and liking us and sharing us on um, on iTunes. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you leave a rating and leave a review. That always is going to help us so if you can do that that would be amazing we're we're trying to battle with the um search engine optimization robots at the minute so stuff like subscribes and and reviews really help with that so yeah if you can do that brilliant yeah and uh, with that uh, i think that's our 50th episode thank you to kieran kelly thanks kieran and thank you uh, all you listeners for sticking with us for 50 weeks <laughs> we'll see you next week Good luck. Hi, my name is Pietro. Please become a good subscriber to the podcast. Thank you.